you're going to love him. Jesus says, wonderful, if you love me, then obey me. With our believing comes behaving. And so chapter 12 begins those wonderful Christian life instructions on how we should live our lives in the honor and for the glory of Jesus. And verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, if you remember, it's like a bridge that connects these two sections. So two weeks ago, we began to walk over that bridge to the other side of Romans, where we learned to start behaving, not just believing, but behaving as Christians. And on that bridge, we learned motivation, presentation, transformation. We are motivated to cross this bridge because of the mercy of God in our life. It's his love for us and his mercy for us that causes us to say, now God, tell me what to do and I'll do it. His mercy is our motivation. And then that leads to presentation. What is it that we present to God? Paul says, your whole life, your whole life in every area of your life, present it before God onto the altar. It's all for him. Lord, do as you want to do in my life. And then we have transformation, which is what the Holy Spirit began in you when he changed you from death to life. And now you are born again, born from above, born of the Spirit of God. But we are encouraged to continue to be transformed. How? Through the Word of God. Through reading it and studying it and learn who God is and what he wants from us through his Word. And as we do that, he transforms our thinking. He transforms our minds. And we begin to focus on the will of God and following Jesus. And so, if you were with us two weeks ago, we have crossed that bridge. And now here we are on the other side, to the side of behaving like Christians. And the first step we take onto this new section is behaving like a Christian in the church. This is the first stop we make. How should we behave in the context of the church? Or as Paul will teach us, the church is called the body of Christ. So that's where we are today. So with that in mind, please turn to Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read for us today verse, verses 3 until verse 8. Again, today's topic, behaving like Christians now. What does the Bible say our behavior should be in the context of the church? So this has something to do with all of you today. All of you. You hear me? All of you need to listen to these words. Stand with me, if you will, as I read this. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 to 8. Paul says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. 
He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Amen. You may be seated. So in this new section, we're going to have a series uh, or multiple messages coming out of this new section, which is called Behaving Like a Christian. And today's part one of this new section is the body of Christ. Paul's going to teach us three things about our being a part of this wonderful, beautiful, magnificent body of Christ. He's going to teach us, number one, what our thoughts should be, our thoughts toward one another. Number two, he's going to speak about our unity with one another. And last, he'll speak about our gifts for one another. Amen. So if you're ready, let's get started with our first point, our thoughts toward one another. What should our thoughts be toward each other? Let me read this verse three again. For I say to you through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Paul begins all of this with teaching us how we should think of each other and also think of ourselves. He starts with himself. He says, through the grace given to me, so now I am teaching you. What does Paul mean by that? Well, remember who Paul is, an apostle sent by Jesus Christ, a wonderful missionary, an incredible soul winner, planting churches all over that part of the world and reaching so many people for the glory of Jesus Christ. And yet Paul would admit, I'm not who I am because I'm good at this or because the Lord has rewarded me with the great effort I've given toward him. No, Paul would tell us in another area of the New Testament, I am what I am because of the grace of God. Paul is the first to admit all that I am and all that I do is simply because the Lord is gracious to me. That was Paul's attitude concerning himself. And I believe if your attitude toward each other is going to be correct, you first have to have, have a correct attitude about yourself. And so what does Paul say about this? Well, again, he first admits even what I do and who I am is all by his grace. Not a reward, but because God is gracious to me. So now, Paul says, every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And I'm sure we can think of a lot of people we would like to say this sentence to. People that you work with, maybe a spouse, maybe a sibling or a friend, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. In other words, be humble. Don't be full of pride and arrogance. Was Paul full of pride? Not a bit. How? Why? Because he understood it was all from Jesus. It was all from his grace and mercy. Do not be proud and arrogant about yourself, especially in the context of the church. Be 
humble is Paul's message. But when it comes to being humble, I see two sides to this, and I actually see two dangers in the subject of being humble. The first danger is this. Maybe somebody comes into church, and maybe they've been a Christian for some time, but maybe they're visiting our church for the first time. And let's say it's a gentleman, and this man sits in a chair, and as the church service is beginning and people are coming in, this man looks around to see, oh, who else is here today? Oh, I see David. I know David. Is David really a Christian? Because I know David outside of church. Wait a minute. Do, do I see Victor? Wait, are you kidding me? Victor is a Christian? He goes to church? Jennifer? I know all about Jennifer. I know how she being, behaves in school. Wow. You know what I think? I'm better than most people here. What a danger to think of. What a dangerous mind to have. Sometimes we as Christians fall into the trap of thinking we are better than other Christians. Is that a right attitude before God? No. Do you know what our attitude should be? Do you know what we should confess as we look at everybody, whether you know each other or not? And maybe you do know some stories about some of the individuals that are sitting in this church. Before you judge and think you're better, think of this. The Bible says all have sinned. And when it says all have sinned, does that include me? You better believe it. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. With that in mind, where is there room for being arrogant? Where is there room of thinking you're better than somebody else? Why are we saved? Why are we the children of God? Because we did something about it? No, because Jesus saved us out of grace and mercy and love. That's true of every person in the sanctuary right now. All have sinned, including you, including me. I went to a church while we were in America. We visited a church in Pennsylvania. One of the, I think it was one of the last churches we were able to visit and speak at, and it was an area of Pennsylvania I'd never been into before. And the way I was invited to this church, it was just a, a kind of a last minute meeting. Somebody invited me, a pastor invited me to come, and we were certainly grateful for it, but I didn't know anything about the church or where it was. But Hira and I, we preached somewhere on a Sunday morning, and then Sunday evening, we drove to this other church. And when we drove into town, it was a scary looking town. It was the kind of place where I didn't feel comfortable driving at night. You know, we, we, we almost joked with each other, I hope we survive visiting this town because you can tell it's a beaten down kind of town. And the people that are living there are maybe a little questionable. And so we found our hotel. I got in touch with the pastor. We're, we're settled in. Thank you for that. And we're coming to church. And then when we found the church, we thought, my goodness, this is a, a different looking kind of church. I'm not sure about how this is going to go tonight. And when we walked in, it was a really old church. It was a good sized church, but it was old. It was dingy. The color, it looked like a church that came right out of 1975. Everything about it was so old. And then the people coming in, we're just different kinds of people from all kinds of walks of life. And I could tell immediately that these people are from uh, an impoverished lifestyle. And so I still felt thankful to be there. 
But even the pastor brought me aside before church began and he said, let me just warn you, there may not be many people coming out tonight because we're not always a full crowd on Sunday night. And, and I don't know, don't expect too much out of us is all I can say. And so with what I was seeing and with what, with what he just told me, in my mind, I'm thinking this is, this is, gonna, this is not going to be a waste of time, but this may not result in any kind of fruit. That's what I thought. And I sat down with my wife. We went through worship service. The pastor was giving some announcements. And I think we both thought, maybe I should make this quick tonight because I don't really feel like these people that have gathered tonight are really willing to listen anyway. Well, I got up and I preached my heart out. And you know, afterward, all those people, which were about 30 people altogether, at the end of the service, they all came up and they surrounded Hira and myself. And they laid hands on us and they began to pray and to cry out to God for him to bless us, for him to bless Alpha Omega International. And I could hear their prayers and it was so filled with the spirit, filled with love, filled with compassion and humility. And I began to cry and I thought, oh God, what a wonderful people. How dare I think that this could possibly be a waste of time. I am the least of all these people. I've never seen such humility and such love coming from anybody in my life. And God showed me just an example of, don't ever think you are somehow above somebody else. And I learned my lesson never to feel that way. So the danger is being proud and being arrogant and not being humble. But you know there's another danger to it? To be completely on the other side of that. And being so hum humble that you actually think, I am the least of everybody and God can't use me. I mean, I know my lifestyle. I know the things I've done. I see God using this person and that person, but I just don't think he'll use me. I don't think the Lord looks upon me and says, come and follow me. I want to use you. If the Holy Spirit were to fill a people, I just don't feel like he would fill me. And when I look around the sanctuary, I feel like I don't even belong here. And maybe I should just leave. That's another dangerous thought to have. Because once again, we are all gathered here together. We are all on the same level together. And the only one who stands above us is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. It's also taught me this, that I should never look at another man's ministry and be jealous. When I first came to Indonesia, I remember within the last week or two weeks that we were coming to Indonesia from America back in 2011, I saw my, my grandmother. And my grandmother's last words to me before we came to Indonesia, she just simply said, Heath, remember, you are going to Indonesia for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought, yeah, I know that. But it meant something much deeper in my heart as time went by. I had to learn that I'm coming to Indonesia because the Lord has called me here. And I'm here to do what he tells me to do. And what I should never do is look at somebody else and say, well, Lord, wait a minute. They have a bigger church than I have. 
Or, Lord, they seem to be more successful in their ministry than I am. Never should I think such things. Grandma said, when you go to Indonesia, it is for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that has helped me to remember my purpose is to be faithful to Jesus, no matter what it means. If I have a church, if I don't have a church, if it's a big church, if it's a small church, if I win one person to the Lord or a million people to the Lord, my job is to be responsible and faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you can remember that for yourself and not compare yourself to another person or wish God did something in you like he did for somebody else, if you can keep in mind, the Lord has called me and the Lord wants me to be faithful to what he commands me. Listen, I can guarantee you, you will feel so satisfied in life. You're not going to worry about what other people say or what other people do. You will feel that you are doing what you were born to do if you just remain faithful to the Lord Jesus. Our attitude should be of humility. Paul says, so don't think highly of yourself, but instead think soberly. You know that word sober? A lot of times we use it today to explain about someone who is no longer under the influence of alcohol. Somebody who lives a life as a drunkard and they are being inspired and moved by the alcohol that is affecting their thinking. When they're finished with that, they now have a sober mind. No longer under the influence of alcohol. That's what we call being sober. Paul says, think soberly. The word is also used to remember when Jesus healed a man who was possessed by thousands of demons and he was crazy, a crazy man. But when Jesus healed him and saved him, the Bible says that all the people came and when they saw that crazy man, now he was in his right mind. No longer under the influence of demonic power in his life, but in his right mind, or he was sober. Maybe we use this kind of talk when we hear, like when today's basketball players, professional basketball players, every time I hear a young professional basketball player say, I'm better than Michael Jordan ever was, what do you want to say to them? Are you crazy? Or you might, you might want to say, have you been drinking? Because you're not talking like a sober person. You know what I mean? So Paul says, don't try to make yourself something that you're not. Be in your right mind. Think soberly. Don't get crazy and don't act like you're drunk. Instead, be in a right mind. Humility under the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So come into this right thinking concerning yourself. And then it will help you to look at others and think of humility. Remember, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says to every one of us, to each of you, for all of you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to each of you, God has given a measure of faith. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the faith you have today, you only have it because God gives you that faith. No, it's, it's talking about something else. Paul's about to talk about gifts from the Holy Spirit. And a measure of faith is talking about how God is equipping you right now. He's working in you to do his will. He's equipping you for the calling he has for your life. He is equipping you 
to live in the gifts that he gives you through the Holy Spirit. And to everyone who is here, God is working something in you. And what I love about that is the fact that God is doing something unique in each and every one of you. God knows Frank so personally. God knows everything about Frank. And God is doing something unique in Frank's life. So the same can be said for Ronnie. The same can be said for Riska. God knows you and he does something unique in your life. Every one of you. Aren't you glad that church is not a factory? And that we're not just a bunch of things coming down a conveyor belt and there are, the, there are these cookie-cutting molds that just stamp us, stamp us, stamp us. And God does the same thing in all of us. Like we're all clay vessels, same shape, same color, same pattern, and we're all the same. God doesn't do that. We are not a factory. We're not on an assembly line where the same thing happens to every one of us. Instead, every one of you is wonderfully and fearfully molded by the very hands of God. God is doing something in you and in you. God knows you. God works in you. When you get together for connect groups, let me encourage all of you this week, in fact, when you get together, take time to hear what God is doing in each person's life. Take time to hear each person's story, where they've come from and where God has brought them today. Take time to hear about how God helped someone or spoken to somebody's life or saved someone. Take time to hear each person's personal story with God. And when you hear all of it, then give him all the glory for the great things he's done. Amen. May our thoughts toward each other be full of love and humility and patience and grace and appreciation. Not just appreciating each other, but appreciating what God is doing in each and every one of your lives. Are you with me today? We are a special people and you are a special person because God's working uniquely in you. Don't ever forget that. Number two, we have our unity with one another. For as we have many members in one body, meaning our physical body, we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Yeah, we have hands and we have feet. We have ears and we have toes. Not all the same function. So we, the church, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So Paul And it's only Paul who does this in the New New Testament. He likens us, the church, as a body, a body of Christ. And in the same way that a human body works, and it works together as you move, as you go to work, whatever you do in life, how many members of your body are working together with each other in order for you to do what you do every day? Paul uses that illustration to explain what the body of Christ is like. And think about the masterpiece that God has created in your physical body. Do you know that in your body is a unique DNA 
code that nobody hell nobody else has in this world except for you it is specific to you and the information that's in your dna there's enough information to fill up 1000 books of a thousand pages each or more than three billion letters that are contained in the story that God has written for your body. That is incredible. And with all that information in your body as you're sitting there right now, that DNA communicates to every cell of your body for those cells to do exactly what they're supposed to do. And do you know that the cells that make up your lungs they know that only a portion of that information is for them. Only a portion of those instructions are for them. They don't do the same things that the cells of your heart do, or the cells of your liver do, or the cells that make up your skin do. There's instructions for everyone, and not once will the cells of your eyeballs say, well, I wish I was in the toes, or I wish I could work the knees, or I wish I was a part of the pancreas. Your cells don't do that. They have a specific job. And they do it wonderfully and fearfully. And as you zoom out, what do you have? A fully functioning body. Paul uses that as an illustration for the church. We are many members, many people. You all come from different backgrounds. You all probably have a different like accent. You come from different cultures. You have different skills in life. You do different jobs. You have different kinds of families. We're all different, yet God uses every one of you as members to work as one body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, he's the head. He commands, he leads, he instructs, and we do. And in the same way, I shouldn't look at, let's say, Gerald. And I shouldn't say, well, I wish I was Gerald. I wish I had the skills that he did. I wish God used me like that. No, no, no. God has a job for me to do in this church. And I will do it faithfully to the Lord. And if you do likewise, we are a wonderful body of Christ. Also with the body, your physical body. What if in your physical body, parts of you decided, well, I don't want to do anything. I mean, I'll, I'll be here, but that's it. I'll just be here. What if my legs decided, I don't want to walk. I don't want to move, but I'll be here. What would happen to the rest of my body? I'd become even more obese than I am right now. I've gained weight since I went to America. I can't even close this jacket right now. Imagine how much worse it would be if my legs decided, I'm just going to sit there and do nothing. Well, then I'm going to be very unhealthy. I'm going to gain weight, and that's not good for anybody. Well, in the same way, we are many members of this one body. God has not placed you here just to be here. You with me? God didn't put you into this church just so that you could be here on a Sunday, and you receive, 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 and then you go home, and you're gone. No, instead, you are a member that God expects all of you to be a contributing member of the functioning of this body. Every single one of you 
has a role to play in this church. Amen? You're not here just to be here. That's not why God calls us the body. But we all have a function to perform. And I love it when I see you at work here. I love it. I know there are many things that many of you do that nobody else recognizes, but I know that you're doing it. And I'm so thrilled. I don't want to start naming names because you're going to make it, it's going to make it look like I'm, you know, exalting some people over others. So maybe I won't mention any names, but last week when I came in, there were two greeters that were there. And it's not that they've never greeted before. Maybe they have. I just haven't, haven't seen them doing it for a while. But when I saw it, okay, it was Ronald and Ivana. Okay, I have to do it. It was Ronald and Ivana. They're at the door when I came through the elevator. And I don't know what it was, but when I saw their faces, I was literally glad, so glad, that they felt it important enough to stand at that door and welcome everybody coming in. I was glad. Guys, I was glad to see you. They're a great-looking couple. They should be there more often. So glad to see them. You know why? Because we need them. We need Ronalds and Ivanas to get to work. We need, like today, Thomas and Gerald who did the same thing. We need teachers. We need media team. We need people to run the cameras. We need people to serve as ushers, to bring a bottle of water for me during church. There are many things that we need to do, and we all have a part to play. We are united as the body of Christ. And Jesus says that when we are united as the body of Christ, you know what happens? Well, Jesus says things like, if you follow my words, if my words abide in you and you obey me, then it will be known that you are my disciples. He also says, if you are fruitful, if your faith turns into fruit, then it will show that God is glorious, that the Father is wonderful, and he's doing a great thing. But Jesus also says, if you are united as one, then the world will know that the Father has indeed sent the Son into the world. How is that? Because when we are functioning as one with humility and love, we are showing the world who Jesus is. We're showing who he is. He calls us to be united because the Father and the Son are also united. He calls us to love because God also loves. And he calls us to extend our hands to a dying world because he himself extended his hands for a dying world. And when we behave as the church, the way the church is supposed to be, the world will see that and know that Jesus truly is the Son of God come into the world. So just being the church will lead to people calling upon the name of the Lord and they shall be saved, as we learned a few weeks ago. Amen. Let's be united as one. Last, Paul talks about gifts. Our gifts, notice this, for one another. He's about to list some gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church. He gives those gifts so that you can use them for one another. He says in verse 6, the first part of verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, 
Let us use them. Paul talks about gifts here in Romans chapter 12, but he also talks about gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Some are the same gifts, but there are some other gifts that he adds. And as you read through Ephesians chapter 4, there are yet more gifts that Paul talks about. So what he's about to show you is not an exhaustive list, list of all the gifts. He's going to mention seven of them, which I believe is for every single member of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit, Paul teaches, he's the one who gives gifts. How does he decide what gift to give? It's up to him. It's his will. It's the Holy Spirit who chooses to give what gift he wants to in your life. And then he teaches you how to use it. And he works through you as you use it. It's not enough to say, I think I have gifts from the Holy Spirit. Well, that's great. Paul says, then let us use it. Use that gift for the body of Christ. And before I get into this list, you might ask yourself, well, how do I know what gift I have? Well, maybe as we go over the list, maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit stirs your heart for certain needs of the church. Maybe there are certain things that you do for the church that just give you a, a wonderful sense of gladness, joy, satisfaction. The Holy Spirit can lead you into what gifts he gives you. Your part is to just say, Holy Spirit, here I am. Whatever gift you want to give to me, I will be faithful. That's our part. The list of gifts is not exhaustive, but these seven that Paul is about to mention, I believe, provides the core of who we are as a church. So let's go over these fairly quickly. Verse 6 and 8, here are the seven gifts. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. Teaching, let us teach. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with compassion. So I've highlighted and emboldened in blue the seven gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the members of the church. Let's go over these quickly, one at a time. And maybe the Lord will speak to your heart. Prophecy. Prophecy, to me, the way I read about prophecy, especially in the context of the church, prophecy can be simply summed up as speaking God's word into somebody's life. Now today, because of our Asian culture, a lot of times I believe that in our culture, we want to believe in what's called fortune tellers. And we want to know what's my future going to be? Where am I going to work? Who is my wife going to be? How long will I have to wait for this or that? What degree? And they go to fortune tellers, which if I'm honest with you all, are demonic. And whatever they say, then the person believes it and then hopes that it's going to happen. Do you know why we do not search as Christians for fortune tellers? Because we have something that's actually called trust. We trust in God. I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold for me. I have no idea. I know what I do have, God, and I can trust in him. Amen? Only a few of you said amen. So prophecy, thank you. Prophecy is speaking God's word. What does that look like? 
It could be that the Lord lays somebody on your heart. And maybe you begin praying for that person. And as you pray for that person, maybe the Lord speaks to you and wants you to encourage that person. You don't know what's going on in their life, but you just want to say, hey, I just want you to know God is always watching. God always knows what you're going through. God loves you. That can speak a wonderful word into somebody's life. Sometimes God might give you a verse to tell to somebody. He lays them on your heart. You don't know why it is, but there's a verse that you have in mind and you share it. And lo and behold, it is exactly what that person was hoping to hear in their walk with the Lord. I came here to this church one time, this sanctuary, uh, several years ago, and I met with a man who they said, he's a prophet. And you know what I love about people who actually have the gift of prophecy? They don't go around saying, I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet. You'll find that they're very humble people, very humble. And so I came to this man because he wanted to pray for me. He spoke English. He was from the UK, and so he knew I spoke English. So he wanted to pray for me. When I came to him right about there, he prayed and he said, now listen, I know people say I'm a prophet. I'm not telling you I'm a prophet. But as I was praying for you before, I just feel the Lord is speaking something. So I'm going to tell you this, and then I want you to just pray about it. Pray about it. Test it in the word of God. Pray about it and see if this is what God is speaking to you. I appreciated the way he approached the whole thing. And then he told me something, which I won't share today, but everything he said after that was like a knife piercing into the center of my heart. And I knew the spirit was speaking to me and I cried. And when I cried, he cried. And then we're both just sitting there crying because we both knew the Holy Spirit just spoke from one Christian to another. I'll never forget what he said and what he said I still hold in my heart to this day and I will never forget it and I will always keep on praying about it. God speaks like that in many ways. Maybe, maybe God will speak into your life about somebody's future. I don't know, maybe. All I can say is if you feel the Lord is speaking through you, first of all, humble yourself. Pray about that. And when you approach the person, let them know, I am also human, and I don't claim that I had a, a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus told me to tell you this. I just feel that this is something that the Lord has placed on my heart. So I'm going to tell you in sincerity. I'm going to tell you with love, and then you do what you want to do with it. Prophecy is speaking God's word into somebody's life. Ministry. Another word for ministry is simply service serving one another. Whatever need there is, serve that need. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. When Jesus ministered to the people, he served them. He took time for them. He was patient and compassionate with them. He served them and he calls us into service as well. I don't know who puts this water up here on the table. I have no idea who does this, but whoever it is, they are serving the Lord. Those who open a door for you as you come in, they are serving the Lord and serving one another. And we need people involved in the service of our church. Teaching, teaching in the Bible is able to explain the word of God in a way that people can understand it. 
And I think, of course, this is needed, and I, I pray for it all the time when I preach, but it's also very needed for our Sunday school teachers during Sunday school. Because some of your kids, they ask mind-boggling questions. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know how they think of these things, but they ask really adult questions. And I always pray for our teachers to have the gift of teaching, to make God's word simple enough that anybody can understand it. Teaching. Exhortation. Exhortation is literally encouraging somebody, helping to build somebody up. And what I love about that word, exhortation, it's the Greek word parakaleo. Do you remember that? It was from Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when Paul says, I beseech you, brethren. It's, he's calling us, putting an arm around us, and he's encouraging us. The same word is used right here as a gift from the Holy Spirit for those who know how to encourage somebody else. You see somebody who may be hurting, and you know how to walk up to that person, put an arm around them, and encourage them, and build them up. Exhortation. Giving. Giving is financial. Now all the church, we believe, according to scripture, is called to tithe to the church. That's how the church functions and does all the things that we need to do. It's through the tithe, which is 10% of a person's income. But this giving is a gift that goes beyond someone's tithe. It's an offering that is above and beyond what the Bible prescribes as tithing. And so maybe you feel a special burden for a mission, a special burden for Sunday school or for someone individually, and you have the means because God has blessed you to give above and beyond your tithe. That's giving. Leading. The word leading in the Bible literally means this, and I talked to our Connect Group leaders about this. It literally means this. To be a leader is to be set over a group of people to care for them, to guard them, to protect them. And when you consider that, connect leaders, how important is your ministry? When you consider that anybody who has a job that is overseeing a group of people at the church, how important is it? God has set you over them to guard them, to care for them, to protect those that you serve. Leadership. And Paul adds that when you lead, do with diligence. Work hard at it. Be on time. Organize yourself. Be persistent. Don't give up. Be diligent. The number seven one is mercy. This mercy is having compassion. Compassion means you are heartbroken for somebody's situation, but you don't just leave it there. You're heartbroken and then you do something about it. That's compassion. But in mercy, it goes even a step further as the gift of mercy. It's being compassionate, merciful, but in a way that alters your life. In other words, you hear that somebody is in the hospital. You have compassion, you are hurting for them, and then you go to pray for them. That's compassion. But according to mercy, you will arrange, rearrange your schedule for the week in order that you can go and visit this hurting brother or sister. It alters your life. When I think of that, I think of our sister Ruth, who leads the ministry, Grio Asi. She has compassion for these young girls. 
and she does something about it, but it completely alters her life because it's a part of who she is. It's a part of her daily living. It's in her mind every day and it's a part of her family's life as well. Mercy in a way that alters life. And Paul adds this last word, when you show mercy, do it with cheerfulness. When you go and visit somebody who's sick, don't go in there looking all grave and gloom. Walk into that room with a smile on your face. That's what Paul says. Somebody who's in need of your help doesn't need you to look like you are so burdened by visiting them. They don't need you looking like you have to go out of your way just to go and No. Walk in with a smile. Walk in with a smile and great encouragement and believing with that person that God is going to work and to heal and to do something wonderful. Seven gifts. Seven. And I believe that the Holy Spirit looks upon you today, every one of you, and he wants to give one of these seven gifts to all of you individually. And when he does, Paul says, use it. Use it. Work together and glorify God all through it. This is how the Holy Spirit builds the church, forms the church, and works through the church. It's through you. Musicians, if you'll come, let me actually, if I can, just read a portion of Scripture as we close now. I just want to read you a portion of Scripture where Paul tells us why this is so important. That we are, our thoughts are of humility toward each other. That our unity is in also humility and in love for one another. That we're working together as one body of Christ. And that we are available to the Holy Spirit to use whatever gifts he puts into our life. Paul tells us now in Ephesians chapter 4, why is this so important? Let me read it for you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. Here's what Paul says. And Jesus himself, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him, who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In all, why do we do this? Because the Lord through the Holy Spirit wants to build you up and to mature your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wants to teach you how to love one another. That's the ministry of the saints. That's the body of Christ working together to build you up 
and to establish you in the love of Jesus Christ. Can you stand with me for a moment?